My husband and I both enjoy a little afternoon at the art museum, but once inside the gallery, the two of us take different approaches. Oh, we might like the same art, but Dave at an art museum moves at a snail's pace, standing in front of each canvas for what seems like an hour to me while I'm darting around the gallery looking at every single piece. What about you? When you're in a room full of art, how do you respond? Do you find yourself drawn to the piece that you find most beautiful in the room, or do you find yourself moving towards the piece that you've never seen before by an artist that you don't know and trying to learn a little bit more about it? In this sermon series called A Life of Meaning, what we're trying to do is to paint a picture of what life looks like when it's lived best. And today, we pause to look at a picture that the Apostle Paul paints in the book of Romans. Sometimes we try to read the Bible as if it's life's little instruction manual, but today what Paul does in Romans chapter 12 is really to paint a picture. Paul is not so much instructing as he is describing. Paul describes what community life looks like. Like when people love one another with mutual affection and they outdo one another in showing honor and men and women are filled with the spirit, rejoicing in hope, persevering in prayer. And every time you look up, you see another person extending hospitality to strangers. There's more, but you get the point. Paul is painting a very rosy picture of what life looks like when people gather together and form a community. Sometimes I think we're tempted to dismiss these flowery pictures painted in the Bible because sometimes they seem so unrealistic. They seem to have been painted before folks divided up into so many different groups. Today, when we look around, we see the fractures in our shared society visible in almost every place we look. We have different political parties that often demonize one another. We watch different channels of television to get our news. We live in enclaves with people who share our socioeconomic status. And we even go to church with people who like the same kind of music that we do and believe the same types of things about the Bible as we do. Paul preaches about unity, but do we in the Christian tradition look all that unified today? Do we look anything like the picture that Paul paints of the beloved community, the one body of Christ? Was Paul right? In August, I spent a week up in Atchison with the sisters at the Benedictine Monastery. They have 109 nuns there, plus two nuns in training, and together those 111 women eat together three meals a day, worship together three times a day, live in the same building together. Now the younger ones go out during the daytime and they work as teachers and administrators and nurses and the retired ones volunteer in the community there inside the monastery, either at the garden or the library or the kitchen. And some of those nuns have been in that same community for 50, 60, even more years and in the midst of all of their community life they welcome visitors like you and me and other people who are looking for a spiritual retreat for a few days or a week or a month 
And one of the other visitors who often comes to the community is a journalist named Judith Valente, and she's written a book about the community. She recalls the time when Sister Molly, one of the younger nuns, who one who was still working, came in to get her lunch in the cafeteria, and she gets her tray, and she sits down at the lunch table, and then along comes one of the elderly sisters who's beginning to suffer the early stages of dementia. It's an elderly nun who is extremely friendly and outgoing and always very hospitable to visitors in the community. And so this elderly sister with dementia sits down next to Sister Molly and she says, now, who are you and how long have you been here? And Sister Molly decides that she'll just play along. And so she says, well, I'm Molly and I've been here about six weeks. And then the elderly nun's face just lights up with the biggest smile and she says, well, you'll do fine. It's only the nuts that stay. <laughs> All of us know how true that is. If you've ever been a part of a family or a church or any kind of community at all, you have sometimes experienced that reality that community life can be a challenge. Sometimes we even say it's nutty. How do we become the one body of Christ with people whose worldview is radically different from our own? How do we become the one body with people who hurt our feelings, who get on our nerves? We have different life stories, and sometimes we just don't understand one another. Is it possible that we can love with mutual affection when we cannot see eye to eye on life's fundamental truths? This summer, I participated in a four-week dinner group that was comprised of four African-American women and four white women. The African-American women were all well-educated professional women who just so happened to live east of Troost. And the white women were also well-educated professional women who just so happened to live west of Warnell. Now, during the dinner group, we didn't specifically and directly address the racial tensions in our society, and yet that topic was always kind of present in the room. We would talk about our definition of happiness and what we were afraid of and something about our families and our hopes for the future, and we would take turns bringing the food. And one night, I think it was the third week, someone brought a plate of watermelon, and it was watermelon season, and it was beautiful, and delicious and we were all sharing the watermelon and passing it around when one of the women who was african-american said i have never before in my entire life eaten watermelon in front of a white person and another african-american woman nodded her said and nodded her head and she said yep my mother forbade my brother and me to ever eat watermelon on the front porch of our home if we were to have watermelon, it would be in the kitchen or in the back porch. The other women around the table who were more my skin tone sat shocked. What are you talking about, we ask. And they explained that it is a stereotype that African-American people enjoy watermelon and that their parents had taught them to not perpetuate the stereotype. I have to say that of all the things we shared around that table, and some of them were very rich and very meaningful, my lingering image is that watermelon has somehow become a symbol of division in community life 
I never thought that of all the things that divide the human race, that watermelon could be one of them. But when Paul writes his letter to the Romans, Paul knows that the food customs, the dietary restrictions, have become part of what has divided the Christian community. Paul's early band of Christians includes Jewish folks who eat what we would call kosher today, and Gentile folks who would just as soon order a pepperoni pizza at the drop of the hat. And yet they are gathering around one table of Christ, and they are struggling to figure out how to be one community at the table. The food then symbolizes one of the many ways that the Christian community in the early days vehemently disagreed with one another and quite frankly just didn't get one another's worldview. Paul knows firsthand that what the sister said up in Atchison is true, that community life can be so messy, even nutty. And Paul also knows that the Roman Empire also calls itself a community and that that community is based on the rules of status. Some are way up here because of their money or their education or their position and some are way down here. That this Roman Empire community is based on exclusion. Some are in and some are out and it is based on opulence. And yet, Paul is describing a different kind of community, one that is based on prayer and mutuality and hospitality to the stranger. Paul dares to paint a different kind of picture of what community looks like now that we have been invited together to this table that belongs to Jesus. Paul claims in the letter to the Romans that we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, our picture of community has been radically altered, Paul argues, by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Paul gives us an image of Jesus reinterpreting and reimagining a whole new way to be community. We need one another, he writes in this letter, as much as my hand needs my arm, as much as your foot needs your leg. We belong to one another as human beings as intimately as do the parts of a human body. We are one in Christ, members one of another. Now the word that Paul uses when he says be transformed is the word metamorphe, like what we would say a metamorphosis. Not that we are called to be new and improved versions of ourselves, but that we are called to be radically different. In the same way that a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, now the grace of God has shaped our communities into a new thing. This past Wednesday was 9-11. And there was a man in Virginia who went to bed the night before at 7 o'clock set his alarm for 2 a.m., and by 3 a.m., he was in his yellow sports car, a Camaro, driving three hours through the darkness to arrive at the home of four-year-old Whitaker. Whitaker was diagnosed with stage four cancer when he had just passed his first birthday 
and in his entire life, he had never had a real birthday where he could be with other kids and other adults and celebrate. And on this day, Whitaker was going to walk to preschool with his mother and celebrate. Whitaker's mom knew that one of the things he loves is a transformer that is a yellow car called the Bumblebee. And so she put a little notice on Facebook to see if somebody might own a yellow sports car that they could park in front of their home and he could see it on the morning of his fourth birthday. And when Whitaker came out the door, here was this man who had driven through the night from Virginia in his yellow sports car, the Bumblebee, along with a hundred other yellow cars that lined the entire route from Whitaker's house to his school. Someone asked that man, why did you drive six hours round trip just so that you could see a little four-year-old boy who you don't even know give you a smile and a wave? And he said, I did it and it was totally worth it. You see, it's not just that Whitaker needed Shannon and all those other folks. It's that they needed Whitaker. They needed to be a part of a community, a transformed life. Maybe Paul is absolutely right that by God's mercy, we have become a community that is not based on status and power and opulence, but one that is based on equality and mutuality, one that reaches out to the stranger. You know, there's another place in the Bible where Paul talks about this transformed community. And in that section, he describes the community as the colony of heaven. And you know what a colony is? It's, it's a group of people that don't live where they once lived, but have maintained their customs of that other place. Are we too colonists of heaven? Have we, too, been transformed by sharing our lives with those in the community, many of whom are so different from us? In the Broadway hit musical, Come From Away, the story of 9-11 is recounted, but not from the perspective of New York City or Washington, D.C., but rather from the perspective of Gander, Newfoundland, where Planes begin landing every couple of minutes when the United States airspace was closed to all incoming international traffic. And suddenly, this little tiny community of Gander, Newfoundland doubled in size and had to figure out where to put all these stranded passengers who were quite grumpy because what they most wanted was to be home and they were stuck in Gander. They didn't have their medicines, they didn't have their suitcases, they didn't have what they needed to live, they didn't know when they would get home, and they at first didn't even know why they had been grounded there. It was a difficult moment both for the people of Gander and for these thousands of passengers that were stuck there. In the musical, they tell the story of the town just stopping everything and embracing with love these total strangers. There's one guy who 
doesn't seem to join in. They're, they're serving food to everybody, but he won't take any food. Well, what is it that you like to eat? Are you vegetarian? Are you gluten-free? What do you need? And he says, I will not eat anything. I am a Jewish rabbi, and I eat kosher, and I can't eat anything you're serving. Another guy pipes in and says, let me help with the feeding. I'm a chef. I know what to do. I know how to feed large groups of people. But they are reluctant to let him join in because he is Muslim. My favorite scene happens, though, in this musical when one of the stranded passengers begins to break down because she has not yet heard from her son, who is a firefighter in New York City. And the characters in the musical surround her and try to comfort her and they enter into a little church in Gander. And one of the stranded passengers says, wow, it's been such a long time since I was in a church. And then he begins to sing. Make me a channel of your love. Where there is hatred, let me bring you love. And then while he is singing, the other Christians join in the singing and then the rabbi begins to sing in Hebrew, using the same tune, but in Hebrew. And then the Muslim gentleman begins to sing along with them, using the same tune, but singing in Arabic. And for a moment, as they sing together, it is if the colony of heaven is present on earth, the community of the world, transformed by the grace of the Almighty One in heaven. For a moment, they were not many different people from many different places. They were one, members, one of another. What do you imagine a painting of us would look like? Do we look like the one body of Christ? <laughs> 